to paint the picture, okay, so there I am. I've still got the harness on. I'm attached to a rope. Above me, 20 feet, are two of the greatest climbers of all time. <laughs> In the meadow are probably 100 tourists who know that the greatest climbers of all time are there, so are looking at them <laughs> with a telescope. 20 yards below them on a small ledge is a pale, scared, <laughs> scared. boy who is trying to navigate shitting in a bin bag. They kind of looked at me and they said the answer was, was alcohol. So ladies and gentlemen, The Tempest 2. Tom Caulfield's James Whittle, The Tempest 2. This is the story of The Tempest 2. God, we're still here. Hello, we made it. We are not dead. Oh, we didn't die. We should have died. We should have died. We could have died. But we made it. We made it up El Capitan somehow, which was, uh, well, it was mental. Absolutely mental. That's what we're going to talk to you about for the next hour or so. Here we go. Let's dive right into it. But, um, <laughs> God, I think we left off still really not sure how we were going to get on and that kind of set the tone it was the most ridiculous three days um but we'll take you through everything everything that happened in the lead up to it and um yeah maybe the most intense three days of my life so for those of you that have followed the previous episodes obviously the last two or three we've we're actually podcasting from yosemite valley for those who don't know what we've just done, um, James and I, uh, just over a week ago, somehow made it to the top of El Capitan uh, in Yosemite, California. We'd spent the entire month of October there training and getting ready, uh, and we somehow managed over 72 hours to make it to the top in what, as James said, was probably the most intense, scary, dramatic, exciting, three days of our entire lives. So I think what we want to do today is just give you the the step-by-step. The rundown, the play-by-play. The play-by-play play of, uh, of the entire climb and hopefully give you an insight and achieve part of our goal of showing what big wall climbing is like for ordinary people like us because it certainly didn't look anything like free solo or the dawn wall no it was uh yeah wasn't very graceful to say the least but um i think when did when did we kick off we started the climb on the 28th didn't we so monday the 28th so let's start from the night of the 27th okay like a natural place to start so the sunday maybe a little bit earlier but the, the day of the sunday we are meeting your family yeah. for, for a bit of lunch and as we're on our way there um, the power just starts being cut out in every village nearby and everywhere in the valley so there's these devil winds as they're called and there's basically been blowing fires from in California like all over the place and the fires are getting really bad so they are cutting the power pretty much everywhere um, for what's expected to be 
the strongest winds they've had all year, which is perfect, perfect timing <laughs> when you're planning on uh, starting the climb at 4 a.m. Um, so we're driving around trying to still pick up last minute provisions as we do, keeping it last minute, and everything's shut. We can't get any petrol, uh, the supermarket's closing, and it all got a little bit dramatic. It did, considering we were in Yosemite for pretty much three and a bit weeks before that, and every single day was bright blue sky, sunshine, perfect conditions. And the day before we wanted to climb, it was all over the news. It was like, devil winds hit California. It's like, what the fuck is a devil wind? (laughs) And what's it doing here? Devil wears Prada. So there were 70 mile an hour winds. Um, They evacuated uh, a load of the hotels in Yosemite. And suddenly the whole valley just became a ghost town. And we were staying with Eric, uh, kind of the guy who was being our mentor, and his house had no power. So we basically were back at Eric's the night before, packing our um, haul bag and making provisions, getting the gear out, um, basically preparing for this climb just by using our headlamps. There was no electricity at all. It was very dramatic. It was it? dramatic. It was quite eerie. It was, a bit, it was just like, oh, fucking hell. Couldn't even have like a hot shower. It was just a bit, yeah, it was intense from the get-go. I mean, they, the Yanks really do ham it up. Oh, they do. They were like, it's going to be freezing. Everyone stay in the house. It's going to be absolutely freezing. It, it was started like, snowing. It was like prepping for the day after tomorrow. Yeah, it though. started snowing and it was just like, we're going to die. And it, we're I mean, die. it wasn't actually that cold overnight. It was, uh, it was fine, but... The all the lead up to it was yeah just the last thing we needed. We obviously were worried sick the whole time anyway, <laughs> and then just to get that mountain on top. Our initial plan was to leave at four in the morning. Uh, there's kind of a bit of a thing with um, climbing El Cap. Not a huge amount of people do it, but obviously everyone starts at exactly the same place. So if you get to that place uh, and there's a queue, you, you just have to wait for... There only needs to be two groups in front of you and it can totally ruin your plans entirely. So we wanted to get a really early start and we're planning at starting climbing at four in the morning. But this these freezing temperatures and these devil winds meant that we actually ended up having to postpone it to I think we ended up starting at about half seven eight o'clock yeah um, but we're lucky in the sense that there was no one in front of us um, well the whole the whole nice. of the route was pretty dead wasn't it yeah. I think because of the weather it kind of scared a lot of people off and the whole valley which is usually bustling with tourists and climbers was actually quite eerily quiet yeah and we kind of parked up at the bottom of um, El Cap in the meadow uh, put our harnesses on Pick the bag up, and that was it. We, we were How walking. heavy is that bag? Oh my god! <laughs> we were walking to the base of El Cap, and it was like, right, we're, we're not coming back. We're not coming back down because usually every climb before that, <laughs> unless it's with a thud, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless it's completely unplanned, falling from a thousand feet, which could have happened. Um, but every time we climbed before that, it was like, right, we're going to climb up to there, then we're going to come back down. We get back in the van, but this time we were climbing to the top. And our climbing party was, it was five of us in total. So James and I, um, and then Eric, uh, one of Eric's friends, uh, who's like a Yosemite guide called James and JP, who was videoing the whole thing. And James was gonna climb with JP. 
um, to kind of ahead of us uh, and get him up the rock to shoot us. Uh, and then Eric was going to be kind of between the two groups. So we were going to climb at a party with Eric. He was going to keep an eye on kind of everything we were doing, making sure it was safe and all right. And then he was going to coordinate with the video guys as well to kind of allow them to shoot from the best places. Uh, and yeah, we just walked to the bottom of the wall, pretty silent. I don't know, how were you feeling at the bottom? Um, Considering every day for the previous 30 days, we've been in the depths of anxiety. <laughs> yeah, it was actually, like like you said, we, I kind of knew that we weren't coming back down this time until we got to the top. And it was a, a nice relief to have that moment finally arrive and be like, right, finally, after all this chat, all the training, um, we can eventually start to have a proper crack at this thing um so it was actually more of a sense of relief and obviously a bit of anxiety but loads of excitement and just the whole thing was the unknown so we never knew what the next pitch was going to have in store and i just remember thinking that this is this is going to be proper this is going to be a proper adventure obviously you're just staring up clear as day three thousand feet up the wall and just with no idea what's in store so it was a bit of relief but also pure excitement but not a lot of fear what about you I kind of in the same boat. It was, as we kind of said in the previous episodes, El Cap itself was this kind of this dark cloud following us around and it was hard to ignore. It was on the horizon, but it was always three weeks away, then two weeks away, then one week away. And to finally actually be walking and starting it, it was kind of like, right, we've done everything we can. Um, we, we know what we've got to do. We know what our roles are. We know where we need to be at the end of each day. We planned it pretty well. And it was just like, right, this is it. And there wasn't actually that many nerves. Uh, I, I don't know why, but certainly felt a lot more comfortable than every other day in the valley. Uh, and I think it was just, we were just ready. It had been such a long journey to get there, kind of yeah. 18 months from from the first lead climbing course we did in the in the climbing gym to now standing at the bottom of the most famous rock face on the planet yeah. with a bag and with ropes and with gear and just looking up and being like, right, that the goal is there. We can see where we need to get to and we just need to figure out how to do it. And that first day was, uh, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty eye-opening, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, um, it kind of put us to the sword and humbled us <laughs> Immediately, on numerous occasions, it was one of them. We, there was a huge day planned. We were planning on getting to a place called El Cap Tower, um, which is a significant spot, like fifteen hundred foot up, quite a, a large ledge that we knew we could all sleep on. And that was the um, that was the aim was to was to get there and for lunch. Oh yeah, we were planning <laughs> on being there early afternoon, nice chilled one, lots of a. Uh, lots of breaks and really give us the opportunity to take in the views and chill out on El Cap Tower. Uh, we ended up arriving at 2am the following morning as uh, as not expected, which was absolutely classic. But the, the, the way it worked was we were going to climb a pitch and then at the after you've climbed the pitch, you have to pull the bag up. The bag is known as the pig for obvious reasons. It's an absolute fucker. <laughs> And getting that thing up there it must weigh about fifty kilos. There's it's just a huge duffel bag, a isn't it? Giant, yeah, hard duffel bag, yeah, that is permanently tied to the rope that you have to pull up the entire three thousand feet with you. So that's loads of water, loads of food, sleeping bags, uh, jackets, everything, and it's totally full to the brim. And um, you have to pull that thing up. So that is 
the main reason for delays and it kind of sets the tone for the remainder of the climb um but yeah when we plan to arrive at el cap tower at 2 p.m uh, and end up arriving 12 hours later uh, we were already pretty battered on day one and i think to give you some context so all these climbing films you see these phenomenal climbers like poetically moving up the rock you don't see any of the hauling or the bags or the big hauling <laughs> stuff so basically you have a role so there's one person who leads the pitch when they get to the top they then fix a line which uh, the bag is on they fix that line to the anchor they then fix their own kind of lead line to the anchor and then the people down at the bottom one person goes up that climber's line and takes out all the gear that they've placed and they put it on their harness as they go up so you're not leaving any gear and that's called cleaning the route and then the other person has the job to basically ascend the line that the bag is on and then when they get up to the anchor you set up a pulley system and some way somehow haul this bag up um, and it's a pretty simple kind of system as you'd imagine it's like a little traction pulley but you've got a 50 kilo bag and sometimes you're you're just hanging from a couple of bolts there's no ledge so you may have to attach a ladder to the rope and use your leg you may just have to like basically push as hard as you can away from the wall to drag this bag up which is the most unnatural thing that you can imagine doing so no second during those three days are you sat there resting or with nothing to do there is i've never done anything where the kind of job list is is as endless it's just non-stop yeah and even if you do everything right you're still busy but most of the time something goes wrong yeah something goes wrong and i've never known a bag to, or anything in the world in existence gets stuck so oh, many times. It would the bag right would find the smallest little nodule or little flake on the whole of L cap and just get wedged fully under it. Um, so then you've got to try everything in your locker to try and free this bag before hauling it. If you just had to haul it up uh, and it was smooth the whole time, it would still be absolutely savage, but at least you could make progress. The bag would get stuck multiple times each go, and someone might have to rappel down to try and free the bag, like go down a little bit and basically wrestle the rope um, to try and free it. The timing has to be perfect between the people pulling the bag up. Oh, it's an absolute mission. It is, and that's kind of what you, you can't anticipate. And that is often why we were told that 85% of people who try and climb Elcat bail after day one. Uh, and as we were going up, there were people on fixed lines coming back down past us. And we kind of spoke to them briefly. We were kind of saying, like, oh, like, how come you're going down? And they were like, we're bailing. And these were like climbers. There was a group from Chamonix. There was a couple from Utah. And they were just like, fuck this. Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean, fuck this? And they're like, nah, this is, this is brutal. I think the exposure, the enormity of it, the logistics of it, when you maybe haven't prepared like we had, because that's all we prepare for, people rock up thinking they can climb it, and then they get there, and then suddenly their bag gets stuck for three hours. 
and it just breaks them. And I can see why it does. Oh, definitely. That is one thing that we were good at, was almost expecting shit to go wrong because it's gone wrong in everything we've done in the past and just carrying on anyway. And yeah, like you said, when people are good at climbing and they set these expectations, and if someone, if another group had wanted to be at El Cap Tower at 2 p.m. and they were running 12 hours behind schedule, they would definitely bail because it's... It's pushing them back. It's testing their abilities the next day. Whereas for us, it was just going to become part of of the story and just going to become what we had to do to get through it. Um, but I, I can kind of see why some people bail, especially if they're not ready for that. But could, the, the pig literally is... I don't think it works well for anyone. No, it's shit. It's renowned for being shit. It doesn't care if you're the best climber in the world. No. The pig's getting stuck. And that, that slowed us down. And I think the other thing that slowed us down more than we anticipated was just how slow we climb. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy shit. So day one, <laughs> uh, the main climbing block was a section called Stove Legs that's this pretty phenomenal crack system uh, that goes a couple of hundred feet up, just kind of single crack. And we'd obviously been training loads of climbing in the valley. And then suddenly we're a thousand feet up and it's like, right, <laughs> you've got to lead. And immediately all of that training, all of the technique, all of the kind of preparation just went out the window. <laughs> and I remember that. <laughs> I was kind of first up. It was like, Tommy Boy, you're sent, up. sent straight back to nursery. I have never been so scared in my life. <laughs> like I was... I was just looking up at this crack and it was like, I can't climb that. (laughs) I can't climb that. Even though if it was on the ground in the valley, I definitely could. But suddenly you're looking at your feet placements and you're focusing on your, your toes and all that kind of thing. And then you just focus slightly to the right and you just see how high you are. And the winds were unbelievably strong so you can't really hear each other like I was kind of being blown out of this crap my, my hood's being blown over my face it was just the most intimidating experience of my life and a pitch which so do a comparison if Eric climbs a pitch it'll take him an average pitch maybe 20 minutes yeah let's say that it took us an hour and a half yeah to do a single pitch each <laughs> and it was the unprettiest slog you've ever seen and we're shitting our pants um i was just chucking my fucking hands in just like really not thinking left lost about 17 liters of blood (laughs) on the way up my hands were absolutely battered uh couldn't had no moisture in my entire mouth i had cotton mouth from about 10 seconds in (laughs) and basically just somehow dragged myself up this crack it was if people were watching from the valley floor they must have been like who the fuck <laughs> who the fuck is that fat boy trying to get himself up, up, up I remember up. you trying to do the knot before oh, you were going to start climbing that was a real low moment in my <laughs> so life the, the classic knot <laughs> before you start climbing you tie in obviously to the rope with a figure eight which is a very simple knot well, that we've done day, a thousand it's times it's day one when you learn climbing you learn how to do a figure eight it's yeah. like a child learning to tie their laces yeah like getting up from velcro to laces that's the knot you learn when you climb and it just I couldn't fucking do it. No, and maybe 12, 12 failures before doing it. And it was just like, you boys were like, are you all right? And I was like, <laughs> I was just like, we were laughing. But inside I was like, I can't do this knot. And that, that's like... A it, was, perfect, it was like a magic road. Yeah, it's like a perfect example of how nerves and fear can actually affect your performance. Totally. And I couldn't tie this knot that I tied probably 10,000 times. 
couldn't do it. And it was just like, oh my God. So I had to kind of try and get myself ready for this. Um, but it just shows that's kind of what big walling does to you. Oh Yeah, I, I totally agree. I remember I had a relatively long pitch. It was like two links. The second one was a shorter. But I got to the top or the, of, of when I was finished and it's maybe the most fucked I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I think it's as much like an emotion, like a mental. It got dark break. whilst you were doing oh, this. Oh god, yeah, and I just left the head torch on the harness. <laughs> Couldn't see the last twenty feet. I think it made it easier. And um, oh god, up there, I could have burst into tears. <laughs> it's just like, what is going on with me? But yeah, like you said, you never climbed where you're looking down at your feet or looking back on your harness to find the right piece of protection to place. Because obviously, you're, you're placing your own protection to catch you if you fall. And this crack is the same size, pretty much. It varied very slightly, but we were having to run out the gear. So if we ended up falling, we were looking at 40, 50 foot fall onto this one cam that we've placed. And that's all running around in your head um, the whole time. And so you, you're running this stuff out massively. And I think, I don't know, I think the, the mental like, oh, it's the tax most, it yeah. takes is huge. So for, yeah, our, our pitches were incredibly slow and we were, <laughs> yeah, so it's our fault while we were very late up to El Cap Tower. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just the, the, the comms on the, the, the kind of, like I remember when you were climbing, I was just like, keep going, mate, you're doing well. And I just hear this like, ah, you fucking piece of shit like properly losing our heads no rationale no rationale no poise like we're in this like unbelievably serene wild place and we're there just like you son of a mother (laughs) (laughs) oh god but it was it was balls against the wall do whatever it takes like pulling on gear chucking your elbow in for a rest like sitting on gear It, it was it was punishing and that first day dragged and I remember it got dark obviously pretty quickly at like five, six o'clock. So suddenly we were engulfed in darkness and I think we'll come on to speak about climbing at night because it was actually a pretty profound experience throughout the whole thing. <laughs> we did more of it than Yeah, else. exactly. We are nocturnal climbers <laughs> with the fucking bats of climbing. And um, the last pitch up to El Cap Tower, we're pretty tired. Um, we're got pretty much no energy left but we're like right let's get this final pitch out of the way it's absolutely fully pitch black and I think that last pitch somehow we got I was ascending the uh, the the bag rope and our ropes got tangled somehow the rope you were on and we were kind of, of ascending at the same time suddenly looked up and these ropes were tangled and it was like oh shit and we were there for about 20 minutes discussing how to untangle it because basically once we got to a certain point we were both going to go for a huge swing because <laughs> we basically somehow our ropes were like holding each other at different angles basically, it was basically an absolute clusterfuck and as we were sorting this out we're there shouting in the middle of the night it's like oh okay if you do this then I'll do that and then it's like no 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 don't do that suddenly from above us it was like hey is that those Brits I was like what the fuck is that and our good friend good friend Alex Honnold was above us waiting on El Cap Tower 
Um, so we quickly jumped up. <laughs> we were keeping him awake, the poor guy. Like, Alex, hi, great to see you. <laughs> Such good friends. Um, and that is that was kind of one of the big moments of day one or night one even. Yeah, and then yeah, finally finally got up to El Cap Tower after the absolute calamity, and yeah, we're met by. Uh, Alex on old, Tommy Caldwell, and a climbing photographer called Austin Seadak. And yeah, mental experience for like for those who don't know and haven't seen films like Free Solo and The Dawn Wall. Um, firstly, you should definitely watch those films. They're, they're absolutely mental. But these two, uh, Tommy and Alex, are the greatest climbers of all time, yeah. basically. And they're the most famous climbers. They are like... DiCaprio and Pitt of the climbing world <laughs> yeah. just without the cash yeah exactly <laughs> Like, it, and it is so it was just uh, so lucky for us to get to that ledge and they be there like waiting for us I mean there wasn't much conversation on that night because it was 2 <laughs> o'clock in the morning and we just spent the last 40 minutes keeping <laughs> them awake we shouting got, at our hallway we got up there I mean, like, like, pretty delirious, sorted our stuff out. They were like, oh, hey, like, had a chat with them. They're obviously in their element. This is what they do. And uh, we put some food on, and it was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> What's that? We forgot our sports. <laughs> no, nothing to eat any food with. We, we had completely forgotten cutlery, so Honold kindly gave us his spork to share between us. It was a sad state of affairs. He's like, just use mine. It's like, thanks, Alex. <laughs> Thank you, best friend. That's absolutely <laughs> lovely of you. That is a real best friend. That's what best friends are for. <laughs> um, yeah, it was weird. And then we went to sleep because uh, we were knackered. I think people always ask before, like, what's it going to be like sleeping on those ledges? And Fantastic. I think if you had just done a day in the office and were on one of those ledges, <laughs> it would be a bit mental. That would be weird. But when, when you've just been full climbing all day and you're absolutely shattered, you'll sleep anywhere. Um, and actually, they're a welcome break from climbing. So sleeping was not an issue. We were woken up about four hours later, about six in the morning, um, by a base jumper that just came <laughs> ripping through the sky. <laughs> I absolutely yeah. shat myself. <laughs> if you can imagine, you're on this ledge 1,500 feet up. Like, the stars are amazing. It's, it's an incredible, incredible place to be. But you're always a little bit on edge because, you know, Rockford or whatever. And suddenly you're woken up by what sounded like the sky being torn in half. Yeah. It was just this like, and then this snap as his like parachute came out. And just this bloke, just like, yeah. And it was like, what the fuck is that? And this bloke on his parachute just kind of just meandered down into the meadow. It was, oh my God, my heart came out of my hooper. It yeah. was awful. So it was just six really good friends <laughs> woken up by the same base jumper. Woke up, I was, Alex was cuddling me. It was a bit weird, but we moved on from that. Um, and yeah, then, then we woke up, um, had a bit of a chilled breakfast. Our morning was dictated by whatever they wanted to do, really. So <laughs> we just chatted to them for a while, which was actually an amazing experience. Um, we got the rundown on the inevitable one of the most asked questions we get how do you uh, take a shit on the wall so we answered that question on the first morning <laughs> the first opportunity <laughs> uh, at which point we realised that we'd also left our shit bucket in oh. the van so just two of the most <laughs> important things you can take up we forgot no cutlery no shit bucket which is basically like a plastic paint tin that you put all your the bags that you shit in you put in that tin and you drag it up behind you so you're not basically putting your shit (laughs) not putting your shit next to your food Um, we forgot that that bucket 
and we forgot a first aid kit. So we basically forgot all the important things, but we did remember a kilo of Nutella. Yeah, big jar so of Nutella. are there. Lots of donuts. But talk me through the shipping process. It was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> right. But, but something we're kind of used to from the road. Yeah. Patagonia. Quite ready to embrace it, but um, a couple of those guys went first. And then it was... I mean, it, they're just so blasé about it. But what, what we had to do was rappel off the cliff. Which in itself... Yeah, was <laughs> that's a big deal for us. Um, down to the next tiny ledge. Um, the kit that you, that you buy that is essentially a bin bag with cat litter in yeah, or the equivalent. Something that's going to soak up the moisture and the smell. I'm really getting in depth here. <laughs> and then that comes in another bag. Think of an industrial strength sandwich bag. So the bag that you do the, the duty in gets wrapped up, put in an industrial sandwich bag that is airtight so that it's not that, that it won't leak. Uh, and then it also obviously comes with antibacterial like wipes and toilet paper and stuff like that. But you're down there, you're sat on this tiny ledge, you're staring into the meadow, just trying to crap in this bag. And and those blokes out there will know that we crossed this hurdle when we came to it, that you cannot shit without weeing. Flat over the piss. And you can't wee in the bag. No. So that that's a huge hurdle. Um, I've never felt such like a schoolboy in my life. Because you have to go big boy wee and pull, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, everything yeah. goes around the ankles. But you have to keep your harness on, yeah. obviously, because you're 1,500 feet up on a cliff edge. <laughs> You're staring into the meadow that's got 50 people, that, 50 tourists that have jumped off a bus with telescopes, <laughs> a telescope. that are staring at you as you're staring down at them, trying to crap in a bag, <laughs> trying not to pee all over yourself, <laughs> suffering from a thing that we just realised called Big Wall Dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big Wall Dick was a revelation. <laughs> so, to paint the picture, okay, so there I am still got the harness on I'm attached to a rope above me 20 feet are two of the greatest climbers of all time <laughs> in the meadow are probably 100 tourists who know that the greatest climbers of all time are there so are looking at them <laughs> with a telescope 20 yards below them on a small ledge is a pale <laughs> scared, scared boy who is trying to navigate shitting in a bin bag <laughs> now if they're watching keenly, what they've noticed is I've gone for a wee first off the side of the cliff. Not sure if that's allowed, but I did it. Like anyway. it, yeah, like it. But whilst weeing, obviously didn't try and shit myself, so I tried to get rid of all the wee, and then I'm in the bag. I've basically put the bag around my entire body, so I'm sat in the bag, <laughs> okay. done the business. Um, but yeah, halfway through, big old dick became a real thing. <laughs> now, any bloke listening uh, will know that when you get in the sea or you're scared or maybe you're really hungover, your, your Johnson just doesn't really hungover. <laughs> you know, when you've had like loads of pints, you've got the fear and your dick's just like, I'm out of it. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah, yeah. Your, your Johnson just has none of it. No. And it was, <laughs> they would have need three telescopes to see my knob on that day, I believe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the Hubble telescope had to be wheeled in to figure out if I was a man or a woman. Brought onto Yosemite, <laughs> staring up at El Capitano. Um, Absolute squirrel. And um, <laughs> and then Eric goes in the wrong bag. Oh, what an idiot! So this is the climber goes in the wrong bag, which is a tiny bag. <laughs> 
And then, anyway, so so he's essentially... Shat in a sandwich yeah, bag. Yeah, he's shat in a sandwich bag, which is not really sealed properly, so he's fucked it, and we've got no bucket. He's fucked we, we've, we've stuffed it into the hall bag, yeah, because there's nowhere else for bucket. it to go, and it's just there. It's stacked. It's wafting well. now, and we've got another two days with it. So, yeah. We've got to now pull this essentially giant shit bag <laughs> up the rest, up the, the next 1,500 feet. So, But that was our only shit. Yes, it was. Because we genuinely, I don't think our bodies had the, the right materials to create another <laughs> one. Because day two. Oh, my day it two. It really got, it got really bad. So we were, day two, we were aiming for a place called uh, Camp Six, which is a jolly good way up the it's wall. A long, it's, <laughs> it's a, a long, long old pull. Um, but we kicked on feeling good and we're making what we thought relatively good progress. Um, in the day anyway and then when the night time comes which is relatively early in the valley maybe 6pm or something and I think and, and the day was pretty brutal like there, there was a couple of big moments on day two. Oh yeah so one was the, the king swing which you did oh yeah yeah, which, yeah. it's which, mental if, if anyone knows about El Cap the king swing is a really famous kind of pendulum traverse um, where you basically are on a rope and you have to swing 100, 120 feet, kind yeah. of using your legs, penduluming yourself back and forward to reach a crack system to then climb up to get onto the kind of the, the right side of the route. And that, I mean, I was above you, I'd fixed the line that you were swinging on and it looked absolutely hilarious. It was mental. It was absolutely terrifying to begin with. But yeah, I'm essentially going up, um, I'm just on a line that uh, you fixed. So I can't see this knot whatsoever. <laughs> Mr. Can't Tie a Knot over here. <laughs> Mr. No Figure Eight. <laughs> Mr. Figure Nine Knot. Um, and yeah, it, it's a, such a simple knot. It's called a clove hitch. It's just basically two loops with the rope going in, in one way and that locks the rope completely. And that is what I was loading and swinging across the rock on, like basically yanking as hard as possible to try and get to this next crack system. I've just got to fully trust that you've done it right, um, especially because the thing that's closest to the clove hitch uh, is called a munter, which is a self-releasing knot. So if you just put the loop on the wrong side, which could be like a few millimetres in the wrong direction, the rope's just going to fully release, and I'm I'm absolutely gooing. Yeah. So it was that was a quite a weird experience anyway. I was totally trusting that, and then you've got to, in order to get this swing, you've got to go balls to the wall full noise uh, to try and get in this crack system which I thought it was going to be crazy but like fun actually it was just really really hard um, eventually got over there anyway but that yeah I mean that took a load out of me we were essentially running on no food or yeah. water anyway the, it was just and time kind of dissolves because when you're constantly doing something and I think we were making good progress and we had some big moments but we every single pitch you've got to either lower a bag out to get it underneath and all these systems just take they just take hours yeah um, and what you also don't realize is you have different roles so a lot of the time you're climbing you're actually kind of on your own and I remember day two we'd done the king swing um, we I'd done a huge lower out on the bag where I had to basically lower myself sitting on the pig um, 120 feet laterally to get myself under the next anchor where you guys had climbed up to um, which 
it's it's just something you can't really prepare for because you're sat on a duffel bag, two thousand feet in the air in space, just twirling around, just like oh, for, for, for and all this time. Tommy Caldwell and Alex Honold, their route actually basically did a loop around us. So all this time we're doing this, they're, they're kind of climbing around us doing this new route. And I remember on the lower out, he kind of came up to my right. Uh, I was like, hey, how you doing? He's like, yeah, good. And he'd come down an hour and a half before and come back up and I was still on this ledge. <laughs> And he was like, oh, you're still here? And it's like, yep, still here. I'm about to do a lower out. And he's like, oh, cool, man. It's like, whilst you're here, how would you recommend? Can you tell me how to do this? How would you recommend I'm doing a lower out? And it's those moments when you're on your own that you kind of, that's when the whole thing builds up on you, doesn't it? And I remember when nighttime came on day two, uh, I was on a ledge, I was waiting for you guys to climb up and then I was, I think, jugging up the line uh, and it kind of all became pretty real. It, head torch on, it's totally silent, had no comms with you guys because you were way, way over to the left um, and you're looking down and you're just like, what What are we doing here? <laughs> like really, ask yourself, like, what are we doing here? I'm hanging on a bolt by one piece of rope. If that snaps, I die. I think all these questions start coming into your head. Yeah, totally. And I think that is when kind of big walling really puts you to the test. Yeah, that's another reason why people bail because it makes you question things that you would never question if you were near the floor. And it's um, it's a really, really surreal experience because you have to trust this... You have to trust your knowledge, but for us, it was knowledge that we'd only learn a couple of days beforehand or a couple of weeks beforehand and most people will spend most of their life training to eventually go and do a big wall like Hellcat and I totally get get it why now because you want to practice those systems a hundred times before you actually have to do it when it really matters and we were putting it into practice when it really mattered on our second ever go of doing it and on a scale that you would never, you wouldn't, wouldn't even really be able to practice a 150 foot lower out because they don't really exist anywhere unless you're that half the floor. And I mean, even people that we saw on the, that were on the route at the same time that we saw afterwards were like, I've never seen a lower out like that size. <laughs> it was absolutely massive. It was like fully round the main nose of El Capitan. <laughs> he just came cruising around this corner. It was like, oh fucking hell, there he is. It's like. <laughs> he sat on the duffel bag. It was absolutely mental. And um, yeah, and then the, the sun kind of disappeared down. Um, so the King Swing is back. There's some other key like areas on the route. There's something called the Great Roof, um, the Pancake Flake, all things that we were kind of looking forward to doing. And we ended up doing them all at, at night. And that reference on how you're getting on in the day, the sun has pass through and there's no reference of time and I remember we've been going for a long time it was a it was a long push but since it got dark at six it kind of goes into a bit of a blur we hadn't touched any water or any food after that and we got to a point where we felt like we'd been going for a little while now we, the bag had been stuck about nine more times and you looked at me and you were like Jesus what is the time it's got to be like it's got to be nearly midnight I just remember going, mate, you, you don't want to know the time. At which point it was 3 a.m. And it had just disappeared. So that's nine <clears throat> hours, nine hours of just constant pushing, no breaks. And I guess we were just so in the zone and so wanting to get to camp six. 
And I think by the time it got to 3am and we realised that we were still below Camp 5, <laughs> it probably wasn't going to happen. And um, it was just a really, really weird feeling knowing that, right, now we've got to find the nearest place possible to try and get some sort of sleep because we've still got a 1,000 feet to go tomorrow. And climbing in the dark was... Like, whenever we were watching the headlamps in the meadow, like, in the month prior, it was kind of like, why are these people climbing in the dark? Like, <laughs> what, what are they doing? What have they done so yeah. wrong in the day? <laughs> Go to bed, it's dark, you absolute helmets. And that is literally what we were suddenly like, we're those helmets. Yeah, they're not watching us climb in the day. And Yeah, and climbing in the dark is it's kind of a, a blessing and a curse. It's, it's good in the sense that all exposure on the height disappears. It literally feels like you're surrounded by, I don't know, like a dark lake. Like that's kind of how it felt for me. You're just, all you're concentrating on is the tiny little beam from your head torch that's maybe lighting up a dinner plate kind of size on the, on the rock. And for all you know, you could be two feet off the ground on a ledge, but in actuality, you are two and a half thousand feet up or 2,000 feet up. And it removes that fear. But what it also does is, as you kind of said there, time just loses all kind of meaning <laughs> and rational. Yeah. And it, you just go into this weird, like, twilight zone. And we pushed as hard as we could. We got to a point where Eric was like, right, the bag got stuck for about three hours. <laughs> and he's like, we're not going to make camp six but we need to really push now to try and find somewhere to sleep or we're in big trouble. And it was freezing cold. It must have been zero, if not minus one. And um, Eric was like, I'm going to take the next four pitches and I'm going to try and run up them and get us to safety. And it was like, off you go, big lad. Like, <laughs> cool. Um, and as, as you said, what time did we start climbing? We started climbing probably 11, yeah, 11 a.m. 10.30 a.m. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, it's 3.30 the following day. We climbed until 5 a.m. Um, you've never seen three more fucked people. <laughs> Absolutely ball bagged. Like, could barely speak. Our hands are like, oh, my God, the pain in our hands and shoulders and everything. Eric, who is this kind of shining light of hope, usually, um, someone with, that we look for for kind of guidance and to kind of reassure us. Melted. <laughs> he, he, he melted. He hit the wall, pissed on the wall, and then fell off the wall, <laughs> all in the same hour. Uh, and suddenly, he was he was absolutely done. He was broken. Like, he dropped three bits of gear into the darkness on one climb. Oh, he was just swearing. He was like, fuck this, fuck this. And we're like, fuck like, this. Like, fuck you guys. Yeah, he's like, who? like, you there. You fucking like, wankers. It's like, love you, Eric. <laughs> Yeah, it was our job to pick him up a bit, really, wasn't it? And this guy who lives for climbing, suddenly he was just like, big walling is shit. Like, this is awful. <laughs> this big walling with you guys yeah, is and shit. And we're there like, uh-huh, big walling is shit, baby. Like, <laughs> this is crap, isn't it, Eric? Um, and suddenly we, we kind of had to become his support system. He had to wear my jacket because he was hypothermic <laughs> from waiting for us. Um, and we got to Camp 5, which is the camp below Camp 6, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> And it was full. It was full of wankers who were sleeping. Had been sleeping for hours. Yeah. So he was like, it's full. We woke them up, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. So it's like, oh no, we're just arriving. Get up. Uh, and we found, a call it a ledge. It was, it was a tiny little outcrop of rock um, underneath Camp 5, which stank of piss. So it's clearly where people just pissed off the edge from Camp 5. 
We sat next to each other. <laughs> I remember just thinking we were definitely going to get pissed on. Yeah, 100%. And we sat on this little ledge. We deserved it all as well. There's a photo on our Instagram that you, you need to look at because it, we can't do it justice over here. Um, and we sat on this ledge knowing that we were perilously close to a two and a half thousand foot fall, but just kind of sat there and waited an hour until the sun came up. Yeah. And we were in a really bad spot. Well, we were in such a bad state that we were like tied onto the rope with these grigories, which is like a self-breaking device. Um, so I'd like cinch myself up nice and tight so that I felt a little bit safe. Tommy, you'd uh, <laughs> thought you were cinching yourself up, but in fact you were just paying out a load of rope through the system. So if you'd have slipped off, oh. which could have happened so easily... Oh, my God. You were going for an absolute ride. Oh, like... I definitely would have mortally injured myself <laughs> so I was there like trying to trying to make it tight and it was like my rope kind of went under your ass, and I was just like pulling it and it was like ah, it must be tight now no still not tight still not tight and this is just how fucked you are like logically the, the, the anchor point is 15 feet away if it's not tight by now you're doing something wrong <laughs> but in th- what I was doing was just paying rope out hundreds of feet of rope <laughs> And in the morning, you got up, and I looked down, and there are these coils of rope next to me, and I was like, what's that from? There's a nice little pillow for me, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I was following it, I was like, where is that from? And it just led to my harness. <laughs> so there was about 100 feet of slack just in the, in my rope system, and it was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, well, that, that night was, was bad. Like, we could barely speak. We could barely function. But I do remember sitting on that tiny ledge and looking out and like the stars were amazing the whole valley was silent couldn't hear you literally couldn't hear anything and it was just like this is awful but this is kind of why we do it I totally is it, it was why we're there it's um yeah even though you're absolutely fucked you know you're getting no more than an hour's sleep to, if you can oh, sleep at all anything and um but that's kind of exactly why you're doing it there's shooting stars kind of every 10 seconds the place was absolutely nuts and felt relatively good like alive obviously like totally shattered but like fully with it and then we're not like nodding off dozing basically for 45 minutes before the sun just slapped us straight in the face woke us straight up immediately and then then you open your eyes and you look down and it's like whoa the exposure because we've been climbing for nine hours in the dark with a lot of vertical gain obviously by the time you wake up it looks totally different to when it went dark the night before and it was from what we were moving around so confidently on the ledge the night before because it was dark when it's light and everything's there and you can actually see where you've come up uh, it was a totally different story and it was it was proper savage um i remember that's probably when i felt the exposure the most was waking up or opening my eyes on that morning and just being like and then turning around and looking above us and there still being a fair way um, but at that point we knew that we were finishing on that day we were going to do what it took to get to the top on that last day and I think we had the romantic kind of view that last day like there were some really famous routes on the last day or kind of pitches and we'd had no sleep literally no sleep 45 minutes after we sat down on that ledge the group that were in camp 5 woke up to start climbing <laughs> So we're there, like, maybe just dozing off. Like, you're, you're the most uncomfortable you've ever been. You're just sat on a boulder. And it's like, ugh, an alarm goes off on an iPhone. It's like, what the... <laughs> and it's like, right, guys, get up. We're starting climbing now. It's like, we've just finished climbing. Yeah. And to prepare for 
the top out, which is basically overhanging, climbing to the top from that point. It wasn't the best prep. Awful prep. Absolutely um, terrible. And again, that kind of just just kind of put our progress off kilter. We were all battered. Oh, yeah. But it was Eric's birthday. It was Eric's birthday. So probably we... the worst birthday he's ever had. <laughs> oh, he was we saying, ruined yeah. it for him. And, uh... Eric had had a huge sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, what are you Nutella now, do you? <laughs> Made sure we ate all of that. It's like, why don't you eat this shit that you put in the wrong bag? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been carrying on yeah. for you. Um, oh, God, yeah. The last day was... Again, planned on finishing afternoon, get some lovely pictures on top of the summit um, just as the sun's going down. And uh, yeah, it wasn't to be. No, again, we finished at 11 p.m. We were meant to finish at 5. 11 p.m. at the top, so just... it's, it's well dark. Oh my God. And the last day was pretty, it was just a slog. We were so tired, we were Zombies so done. Point, yeah. We just wanted to get to the top and JP was there and he was trying to film stuff and we are just like, fuck this. Fuck, <laughs> get out of my face. Fuck this, let's get to the top. Eric is desperately trying to push us off the cliff because <laughs> <laughs> we've annoyed him so much and we've ruined climbing for him. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the best part of the, the last pitch up to the top is this huge overhanging um, kind of uh, climb where you're you're basically hanging from a rope, essentially, uh, in space, 3,000 feet above the valley floor, and you're at the top of El Cap. And our family and friends were in the valley. We knew they were there watching us. And we mentioned the head torches earlier. Like, we've been watching these head torches every night, pretty much, in the valley, and being like, oh, fuck me, those people are finishing. And I remember dangling there in the dark, just spinning around, still shitting myself. Like, you, you, you are the most exposed you can be in any climb in the world at that point. Yeah. There is no other climb where you are that exposed. And I remember looking down and being like, holy shit, we are now those headlamps. Yeah, that was mental. There are people in the meadow looking up, who some may be training for El Cap, some are tourists, some are our family. And they can see us and be like, oh, look at those guys. And that, that was us. And that's what we've been working for for 18 months. And it was an incredible feeling. And um, we topped out and, well, probably one of the biggest anti-climaxes <laughs> of my life. It was pretty... It was savage. Non-eventful, wasn't it? I think we, it, it was just it was so a fucked. combination of, yeah, it being dark again. So you can't see really where you are, even though you know you've just... Still hasn't really sunk in now, to be fair. I still feel like... Still don't know how, somehow, we managed to climb El Cap. But when we got to the top, it hadn't sunk in at all. Yeah, it's dark. you still got to pull the bag up. And, yeah, yeah, we were absolutely knackered. And you know that as soon as you get to the top, there's about a three-hour descent, which is savage and pretty dangerous as well. And I think that was all in our mind that kind of killed the... Um, there wasn't that relief or that ultimate elation feeling that no. we had in the other ones. It was just a... Oh, what's like, the next job? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we'd been stuck in that process of now what, now what? And it was still the same when you get up there. you still got to pack everything, coil all the ropes, flake it all out, and then make your way down the descent, which is a... I mean, that's a challenge in itself, uh, to say the least. That was so, pretty scary, actually. Yeah. I, was, I was a little bit worried when we were doing that because you basically got an hour and a half hike along the 
basically the edge of El Cap. Well, the, the guy, the guys that we were with, wanted to stay up there the night because they know the day that we just had, and they knew what the descent had in store. And it was actually me and you that were like, "Nah, we got to get down. Like, yeah. We need to get off this." I need to get thing. to Santa Monica. Baby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need an oat milk cappuccino. Yeah, I've got a hundred pounds of my name on it. <laughs> so it was like they were like, "Okay, for like fair, fair enough." Um, and I kind of get now. I started to understand halfway down why they were saying what they were saying it was a fully savage descent yeah and like you're saying you're walking down the the side of El Cap with uh, on the on your right hand side is a permanent drop of 3,000 feet basically a very like again that's probably a good thing that it was dark because that would have crippled us if we'd have seen the, that the, like the slabs we were I say walking we were running down for some reason <laughs> yeah that was so it was a hell of a pace piece. <laughs> not quite sure I could literally couldn't keep up <laughs> Uh, and it's like this polished glossy slabs with this fine dust on it and so you're just slipping and you're you're just sliding down these slabs completely out of control and it's like am I am I going to stop? <laughs> like, am I going to stop here? Like, and you're doing everything you're flailing around like a wanker and you're like am I going to stop? and you stop you're like well that was that was needlessly dangerous. Yeah, so are we doing that again, so, are we? Right, okay. And fuck, I must have eaten shit about ten times. Yeah, I remember after you got down the slabs, then you repel for a while. Four big repels, wasn't it? Four, like, yeah, thousand feet of repelling. And then it goes to this, uh, this still savage trail, but, like, more of this dust. Like, still on very sketchy terrain with, like, the edge... You're fucked if you go over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> Turning around, and you absolutely wiping out. So, oh my god, is he going to stop there? My legs were like shake. I was like Bambi. <laughs> I was absolutely gone. I could barely speak. It's like, what are we? What yeah. are we doing here? It was carnage. That was carnage. And then eventually we got down to the bottom. Some family and friends were there, which was lovely to have some people that we knew there. A couple of beers, and then died yeah perished uh, the <laughs> perished for a night the state of us I got in the car we were driving to that hotel and it's with my girlfriend and a couple of friends and they closed the car door and they were like ooh this <laughs> stench of me so, sorry I've bought Eric shit yes, sorry, sorry. I've, I've got, it's like what's that carrier bag like, nothing don't worry about it <laughs> just I'm got, taking it home just got the shit for so people <laughs> but it was the state of us like our lips were cracked and bloody like our hands were destroyed. It, 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 we were in absolute pieces, and, and that is kind of what El Cap had done to us. Yeah, totally. It was a proper feeling of like, oh wow, like yeah. that was mental. In terms of intensity and how it compared to the other things, it was. It's, it's impossible to compare them, really. It is, it was, isn't it? And it was um, it was just unbeatable for intensity the whole time. In terms of the mental like taxation I don't think it's going to struggle to be beaten I think the, the biggest thing that I think when you look back on it is compared to things like the Rome and Patagonia which you're in a shit situation it's horrible it's hard but it, you can kind of get through it but El Cap was that with a layer of I've never known the need for accuracy and precision like it because yeah, the whole time we, you kind of mentioned it earlier but the most daunting thing on that wasn't the like potential of falling or like taking a whipper or hurting yourself. It was the fact that when at 4am you have been climbing for 14 hours, you can barely say your own name, yet you're tying a knot for not only yourself, but 
your mates to climb on and if you get that wrong they die and that is that is as black and white yeah as that it is. is the reality of it definitely. if you make a mistake with kind of the systems especially people can die and i can't think of any other adventure or sport where it is that definitive that one simple error when you're in that state of delirium can lead to such a catastrophic event and that is what i think why we were so tired it, it, yeah the mental strain it puts you under where you just want to sleep but you're okay okay this not here okay is that carabiner locked then you're checking your rope checking his rope checking it again checking it again checking it again and it just absolutely melts you yeah and i think that's because it is it's all relatively simple and people that climb their whole lives will say it's it's all simple stuff but it is hundreds and hundreds of simple things one after another all the time and it's those simple things that eventually lead to people uh, doing something wrong and all the horror stories come from the most simple things you know they're They'll be rappelling, they'll tie two ropes together and they'll just connect themselves onto the short end of the rope and rappel straight off the end. And, and that's not because they don't know what they're doing. It's just when you've got that compound fatigue of climbing mixed with some sort of autopilot or confidence in those knots, which I think might have been a blessing that we didn't have. We checked everything hundreds of times. Um, so I guess we were less likely to fall into that autopilot trap. But that's also why it was so taxing, because we just learnt these skills. And um, the simplicity of it is, I guess, what what makes it quite scary. We got to the first ledge, actually, on day one. Uh, it's a place called Sickle Ledge, which is at about 500 feet. And for some reason, unknown to me why... I got to this ledge and just was totally took myself out of the system. So un, unclipped from the un, uh, untied from the rope and was just out of out of everything. And it took Eric to say to stop me five ten seconds after I did it and say, "Whoa, man! Like, what the hell are you doing? Do you realise that you're not tied into anything and you're you're not safe at the moment?" And I didn't. I, it was just an autopilot thing that I'd got onto some sort of ledge are just untied and the next thing you would do at that point would be usually if when you're tied in is you'd sit back and you'd wait the anchors so that you can start flaking ropes and organizing stuff it's more comfortable doing that than it is standing on a on a tiny ledge um which is a pretty mental thing to do that i obviously had untied completely and it's a good job eric was there uh to stop me Immediately, well, I think that is the exact reason why yeah. uh, we wanted to to kind of climb as a three because totally. he is kind of used to spotting those things. He's not a guide, he's not a kind of a teacher or anything, but he's climbed long enough and is experienced enough to be like <laughs> to see an idiot, yeah, to see on. a bloke he hasn't got a rope on. <laughs> um, and I think. Yeah, if, if it wasn't for Eric, we, we would have been in so, so, so much trouble. Oh, totally, yeah. And I think it just goes back to the importance of two things, really. Firstly, surrounding yourself with the right people, people who you can learn from. And I think also one thing we are we are actually really good at is we have zero arrogance or ego when it comes to ability and adventure kind yeah. of stuff. And there are some people in this world, lots of whom we've met, who... They're just like, yeah, yeah, I know how to do this. I know how to do that. I've done that before. I can do this. And they're probably blagging it a lot of the time. And they they think by not asking for help, they're seeming stronger than they are. Whereas 
we constantly ask for help and instruction double check this oh right when i do this should i do it this way or that way and i think when you've got that mentality you a obviously make things safer and more uh kind of appropriate for your level but b you also learn more and we're we're very good at that we we know that we are not experts we know and we do not pretend to be because it's just there's no need to no there's no room for ego especially in something like climbing because you're only stitching yourself up and your mate and your mate which is the last thing you want to do so yeah there's no point in doing that at all questions that was it yeah mental yeah we'll jump in we got actually loads of questions and loads of support for yeah that's so true the the whole time we were in the valley but particularly when we were climbing El Cap we were inundated with messages and like words of encouragement and it was awesome so it was massively appreciated Uh, and we got a load of questions for the podcast as well so we are we'll hand pick a few um, that hopefully will help some people and we'll answer bits and pieces as well right let's start with uh, we haven't written down their names so apologies we can't do a shout out but biggest shit your pants moment on El Cap oh this was uh, this is Rob I believe okay yeah so I do remember that one Ooh, um, what was yours my biggest shit oh, the, the start of that first lead climb for sure oh yeah um, without doubt probably I, I don't think I've ever felt fear like it was genuine proper fear you know when you're like oh yeah that, that was scary nah <laughs> this was like I I would do anything I, I can I vouch for do that. anything not to do this because you you went just a jaundice colour <laughs> the colour just went from you it was like, well, it's fucking scary uh, that's a yeah that's a good shout mine was definitely the king swing just loading the knot that you tied and just I'd be scared yeah. <laughs> I was scared yeah. as well it's just like he's gonna fall just full on just committing to it and even though it didn't last anywhere near as long as, as the climb or anything it, but just that one moment of 30 seconds of like what is happening here was the uh, shit your pants moment for myself uh, okay next That's question true. was there a moment on El Cap you considered bailing um, no I don't no. think so no I, I can see where that well there is a, quite an obvious time it's, it's a place called Dalt Tower which is below El Cap Tower and it's the if you bail after that, it's a, an absolute mission, but there's a quite an easy route down from Dalt Tower. It's still 1,200 feet, but that's where, yeah, 85% of people will bail from El Cap is when they get to Dalt Tower. So I can see why people did it, but no, we never, never considered bailing. Um, I think as soon as it becomes a consideration, you're a little bit fucked, really. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're going to be going into the night time. Yeah. Um, one more? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I'll do, we'll do this one and it links quite nicely to the next one. So how do we prepare for these adventures, these trips? I guess where do the ideas come from? It links to the next one. Of, is, that, is that what that question means? Where do the ideas come from or how do we prepare ha- for them? Uh, I mean, listen, listen to the other podcasts. You'll know how we prepare. But if you want to know how we come up with them, then the idea is pretty simple. I think... Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I think it's... Uh, yeah, let's go with how do we come up with these? In which case, it is in the poob. In the poob. We, um, as we've said before, we'll just go to a pub, order a few drinks, 
and uh, start brainstorming and start thinking, which links to the next question of what drink is best to be consuming when coming up with the ideas? What is the creative juice? What is the lubrication for the nation? What is the... (laughs) (laughs) What's the nectar for adventure? Oh, like it, yeah. Um, I mean, there's various. It depends on seasonality, depends on location. Are you in a wine bar? Geography. Are you in an Irish pub? Are you in an O'Neill's? Okay. Never, ever in an O'Neill's. No, don't go to an O'Neill's. <laughs> um, I mean, this staple has got to be the black stuff, isn't it? It has, yeah. A few yeah. pints of Guinness. The Papa New. <laughs> the Papa New Guinness. <laughs> um, yeah. Guinness seems to be the go-to. We actually were in the pub in Old Street last week starting the conversation for the next thing, which um, I think we've landed on, which is going to be ordinary people playing the world's most extraordinary golf courses. So <laughs> please tune in over the next three years. Can we get under 100? <laughs> yeah. Can we play the top 100 courses in 100 days? Goodness. Get the brands on board for that what one. What a feat. We will be taking all donations as well from yourselves. So that'd be fantastic. <laughs> right. I think... Um... That's our cap done, so you're welcome. That's our cap. It's all Keep, for you. If you get any any burning questions that you want answering, I mean, I'm then sure you missed your chance. We, <laughs> we will talk about El Cap now for the next nine years. <laughs> so um, there's plenty more opportunities. What are we going to talk about now? Oh, the podcast. Oh, God knows. Um, I don't know. We'll come up with something. Something. What? Yeah. Shitting in a bag. Point, yeah, yeah. 2.0. Maybe we'll do tutorials. No, I think maybe as we kind of decompress some LCAP and we figure out some of the big learnings, maybe we'll go into that. But on a serious note, uh, we touched on it. The support we got from not friends and family, but people we don't even know uh, was actually pretty breathtaking. And we tried our hardest to put as much up on social whilst climbing as possible. And we tried our hardest to make it as honest as possible. So when we were battered, we showed that and uh yeah reading those messages generally did help i know people say that but it honestly honestly did so thank you so much for following and i think we'll probably be announcing our next thing the next couple of weeks we just need to finalize what it is um but yeah if we can climb el cap holy shit you can go and do anything you want so hopefully (laughs) this has inspired at least one person to go and take something on or achieve something they thought was not possible uh, because that's basically why we do this that's it lads and ladies ciao ciao